This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Untold Story podcast. I'm Martha McCallum. Great to have you with us uh, for this edition today. There is so much going on in the world. We see what is unfolding in Maine as they continue the manhunt, at least at this hour, for the killer in Lewiston, Maine. Uh, and we also are looking at a country that is still processing what has happened in Israel and watching the scenes of war with Hamas in Gaza all day, every day. So today we invited Dr. Mark Siegel to join us. Obviously, you all know Mark. He has walked us through countless medical analysis over the very over the last few years. We've talked to him about COVID, the medical side of COVID, the mental side of COVID, the anxiety that came along with that. So here we are uh, again, Mark, and thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. We appreciate it. Great to be with you, Martha. You know, it, it just keeps striking me. And obviously, um, you in the medical industry, in the medical world and uh, in the media world as well. So those intersect for you. And often people will say to me, uh, what's it like to cover these stories day after day and not to have the ability to kind of remove yourself from it? But obviously, I, you know, our, our job is easy compared to what's happening in Israel, compared to the stress that those families are going through. I was with a friend last night whose sister lives in Israel, and she has uh, several children, some of whom are in the IDF right now. So, you know, what are your thoughts, just big picture to start here, Mark, with, with the anxiety and the stress and how, how it takes its toll from all of this? You actually delineated exactly where I want to go with this, which is it starts in Israel. It's a totally different situation where you suddenly don't feel your border is secure. OK, before you understood that you might have 90 seconds to get into a bomb shelter, uh, 30 seconds if you're in Starot right near the border. That's been going on for years. But now suddenly you're invaded and you don't know psychologically when you're going to see somebody walking down the street with a machine gun. You don't know that. Also, you pointed out. Maybe your children are in the IDF. Maybe you don't know where they are. Maybe you know somebody that was a hostage. You don't know if they're alive. That lack of certainty creates tremendous fear and anxiety. And I spoke to Isla Chmul, who's the head of the Resilience Center in Starot, right near the border, and she surprised me. She said, this is a time for survival. Resilience comes later. And to decrease the long-term effects of this, you just do what gets you through the day. None of us are sleeping. Don't tell people to sleep. None of us are sleeping. You know, all of us are drinking. All of us are smoking cigarettes. All of us are enraged. Don't tell people not to be angry. So that's over there. And then I also spoke to trauma surgeons up in uh, Sheba Medical Center right in Tel Aviv. They literally have saved over 100 people. They save everybody that they've gotten, which is incredible. And I realized that they have the top trauma surgeons in the world. We have very good trauma surgeons. They have the best in the world. That made me feel good. That made me feel that there's something 
productive happening, at least in the medical centers, to try to fight back. So the sense of courage you feel is 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 contagious. Over here, I'm worried about the, the a few things. The media images, Martha, you know, we are actually doing a really responsible job of reporting. I've been hearing from liberals. I keep hearing from liberals. Fox News is doing the best job on this story. Everybody is seeing that. We're covering it fairly and rationally. But still, you know, the question is, how social media covering this? And, and, and what's the usual distortions that are occurring? And what are the take-home messages? And so... And you said at the beginning, what are you telling your kids? Well, kids look to their parents for direction. So if parents are courageous and fearless, children will be fearless. Parents are, are, are experiencing fear. Kids are going to be experiencing fear. If parents are reaching out with compassion, kids will. The stuff about anti-Semitism, a lot of that is contagious because it's completely divorced from what was Hamas doing. What, who are these people? Why were they attacking innocent people? Why were they defiling people? Why were these atrocities committed to the point where Israel had to release some of these videos? And then the other thing that we've reported really well is why was a hospital that, that had a, a rocket landing in the parking lot immediately blamed on Israel? And the source for that information was Hamas. So I think people will do better over here if they get proper sourcing and they get proper information and then figure out a way to put it into context instead of obsessing on it. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of what you said for people in Israel, and we all know people directly or people who have family members there. Um, and as I mentioned, my friend's sister uh, lives there. And I saw my friend last night and she said, my sister told me that basically every morning she wakes up and she just cries. And then she kind of pulls herself together and gets on with her day. I would imagine in that kind of environment that that's probably a good thing to, to, to release and to feel your emotions and how scared you are. And then, as your friend there said, you don't have any choice. You have to go on. This is what people did in Europe in World War II. Uh, you know, they, they, they continued. They kept calm and carried on. I, I don't know what other choice people have. What are some coping me mechanisms and what do you recommend? You just said one. Uh, again, you and I know each other a long time. You read my mind. Here, I think crying is number one. I mm -hmm. think that's coping. I think feeling rage. I agree with that psychotherapist I talked to. Feeling rage. Um, letting yourself feel what you feel. I'm hoping, and this is because of my books on fear, that people understand that you can't be courageous and fearful at the same time. You can't laugh and be fearful at the same time. In other words, the same primitive centers of the brain that process fear also process love. So if you're reaching out in compassion for someone or kindness, it's not the time for this meanness, these protests and marches we're seeing all around the world. That's meanness. It's time for kindness and time. Kind, if you're feeling kind, you can't feel afraid. That that's a coping mechanism. And I loved hearing from her that it's OK to smoke and drink right now if you're in Israel. You know, mm -hmm. now's not the time to, to say, here's what you should be doing. Now's the time to do what you need to do to get past the day. So, you know, in terms of fear, the fear is real for people in Israel. They don't know what's coming. And fear is a very natural human response. When they see what happened to these families along the border with Gaza, it's, it's unimaginable. So how do you advise people there to, to process that? And how do they talk to their children about that? Well, wow, that's great. Really a great point. People are feeling an acute stress response, it's called, a fight or flight response. And you might not be in a position 
to run, nowhere to run and fight, people are fighting for, for you and you may be worrying about those people. And so I think people in Israel have to live in, in, a, in a period of heightened awareness, heightened response, hyper, heightened sensitivity for time now. And they have to be told by the parents if they're children that this is normal, that this is, there's nothing unusual about this, that these wild emotions are normal. And, you know, look, as a professional, I can tell you that somebody comes to me and they can't sleep. I'm going to try to prescribe something for them or I'm going to try to talk to them therapy or put them in therapy. This is not the time for therapy. This is the time for survival mode. That's later. The more you the more you feel courage and fortitude. And again, children role modeling their parents, the less long term damage there's going to be here in terms of psychological. So what about people here in the United States? And you just talked about something that I think is is causing a lot of peripheral stress for people. And it's watching, you know, students who are carrying signs that talk about a clean world without Jews. I mean, I, this I look in this girl's face who's holding this sign and I, I'm trying to figure out where this this kind of hate comes from. And I think about the peace marches during Vietnam, right? I mean, there has to be a way to help people, to encourage people to, to find some sort of common ground here in the United States, at least, right? I love the way you phrased that, and especially that you brought up Vietnam, which I hadn't thought about. You know, where the Vietnam protest started was, here's why we don't like this war. Here's why I don't think we should be in this war. With this, What's lacking with some of these ignorant uh, protests, and I'm not against any protests. I mean, you and I will talk later about NYU. I have a lot to say about that. You know what? Let's start with history. If you want to protest against Israel, start by understanding what Israel is. It was created out of the Holocaust. It was created out of the idea of never again. It was created with the idea. This is These atrocities were done to over 6 million Jews. Jews were not alone, of course, but 6 million Jews. And the United Nations of all places, which has been horrible to the Jewish people decades since then, created the state of Israel as a way of saying you have a country now. Jews from all over the world can go there. Don't have to be Jewish to go there. But I mean, I could get citizenship there immediately, the law of return. I think that emboldened Jewish people to think maybe we won't always be victims. Maybe this is our place. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why Jewish people around the world resonate with Israel. And it's it's historical. So for people here that are protesting against Israel, start by understanding where it came from, why it exists. And then why does Hamas exist? What is Hamas? Hamas is the government of Gaza. But who are they? And, and if they are, their purpose is the destruction of Israel. That's why they exist. How can you, I'm talking to a protester now, how can you who's protesting against Israel for Palestinians, pro-Hamas, how can you do that without understanding the inhumanity of Hamas? You have to know, you should know what you're for and what you're against before you protest. The Untold Story continues right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. 
That's shopify.com slash system. I mean, I've got to believe, Mark, that a lot of these protesters are the same people who are protesting in favor of tolerance for trans people and, you know, all kinds of, you know, it's kind of been given the, the umbrella of woke. I don't know how accurate that really is, but Um, You know, people who are sort of fighting for tolerance for all these different groups, all these different gender identity groups. I mean, Hamas would throw these people off the top of a building. I mean, that has what has happened in Iran to gay people. I mean, it's, it's horrific how they have been killed for their sexual preference. And, and I look at these protesters in college. And, you know, I hope they're smarter than I think they are. But my biggest fear is that they're uneducated, that they that they are ignorant, as you said. And that is really a poor reflection on our educational system in this country, isn't it? Yeah, I love that. I I actually think I'm viewing that as positive, what you just said, because it takes the veil off something that where if you're not politically correct, you get attacked. Well, you know, you just said it. Wokeness is is under this umbrella of embracing an organization that couldn't be more about defiling the very things that you say that you're for. And how about women? Women as well, horribly treated by Hamas. And and we're in a, we've, we're coming out of an era where we're recognizing women, you know, should be having a lot more respect and be treated the same as men, with the same power and, and value. Hamas is not doing that. It is unbelievably hypocritical that someone that comes out, you know, that that universities that are ultra woke are also protesting on behalf of not Israel. Israel should be the ones they're protesting on behalf of. Instead, they're against Israel and pro Hamas. That's ultimate hypocrisy. And it shows you why I and you probably are against the indoctrination. It's all about indoctrination, isn't it? That you're not allowed to think a certain way. You're not allowed to speak a certain way. That's what the woke movement has at its heart. Well, I think the indoctrination, unfortunately, has supplanted actual education. And so parents are paying for this. And, you know, I would love to and we want to do this um, and send a crew out to ask some of these protesters some real questions about some of these things, about what they think about the origins of Israel, if they know what, you know, from the river to the sea actually means. Um, Do they know what Hamas and, and Iran do to uh, to gay people? Um, do they under I, I would love to know uh, if they know the answers to these questions. So let's let's talk about the mental state involved in all of this and these universities where I'm going to speak to an Israeli um, American Israeli student who was in a library here in New York City University and was at Cooper Union and couldn't leave the library. And and anti-Israel protesters were banging on the windows of the library, Mark. I'm sure you saw these images. What do you think about this? Well, my father went to Cooper Union and it meant Mm -hmm. a lot to him. It was free. And to get to get to Cooper Union of all places where the education is free, where you have to get to such a a place of uh, performance uh, before you can actually be allowed in. It's a it's a real regal institution. And so I'm deeply disturbed that that would occur there. And and, and, and it's uni, uni, unilateral. It's not protest we're not talking about. It's actually targeting and, and threatening people who are just there to learn. What are they going to do about this, the university? You know, you hear David Mamet saying to parents, look, if this is what's happening at the university that your child goes to when they come home for, for Thanksgiving, don't send them back. 
find a, a place where they can get a better education. I've been lucky because I'm on the faculty at NYU. Uh, Ken Langone and Grossman up here at, at Lang, Langone, NYU Langone Medical have been phenomenally supportive of Israel. The president of New York University, Linda Mills, has been supportive of Israel. She's about as supportive of Israel. Some top figures in the university uh, are connected directly to Holocaust survivors. But, Martha, NYU is not off the table here either because the same stuff is going on in reverse. The, the marching, the anger, the, the ridicule. Uh, I don't agree with David Mamet. I think he's phenomenal. I, what a great choice to have on our air. I, one of the greatest playwrights of all time, certainly him and Sam Shepard, the best two playwrights of the last 50 years. What an inspiring figure. I agree with every word out of his mouth, except you've got to go back to school. You go back to school and you, and you show the same courage that Israel's showing over there. I mean, it's not the same thing. And the scale is not the same, but you have to stand up to this kind of thing. You don't you don't not go. You stand up to it. So be the change, in other words. Yes. The change piece. Yes. Yes. So I, I want to ask you before we go about what happened in Lewiston, Maine. And as of our conversation right now, they are still searching for this very disturbed individual who spent two weeks in a mental institution and uh, still, you know, despite they're pretty loose laws in Maine with regard to, to guns, uh, was able to have an automatic weapon and kill 18 people and wound others, Mark. It, what is this a reflection of in our country? I have a lot to say about this. Maine only has yellow flag laws, meaning that a family member can't say, I don't want him to have a gun. And, and there's some evidence that Robert Cart may actually have had restraining orders or domestic violence issues. That has to be determined. But listen, He's in a mental uh, facility and he's hearing voices. And then the next thing you know, he's talking about violence to the National Guard. I mean, that's homicidal ideation with a plan. That's somebody we involuntarily commit until we can get control over that with antipsychotic medications and interventions. I don't know the sequence of that, but it's deeply disturbing that that happened. And it also points out something that you and I have talked about before, which is so much emphasis on guns, not enough on the person shooting the gun. Who are they? Why do they have a gun? Should they have a gun? What are they doing with a weapon? What's their mental health like? And I think that the biggest problem in Maine, and it's not Maine alone, they've closed most of the mental hospitals. There's only right. two open state, only two state hospitals open, one private. And there's no care. I mean, there's like 87 mental health workers in the state and 2,500 police. Now, they, we need they need the police, but they, but they don't have the mental health care. You just made what I think is such an important point. You know, we talk about taking people off the street. They've talked about it in New York. There are so many mentally unstable. I'm not a doctor. And, and it's it's like it's clear to the human eye when you see some of these people on the street that they are absolutely miserable and out of their mind and would probably welcome someone caring enough about them to to put them in a hospital and give them some care. But these institutions were basically so many of them were closed in the name of mainstreaming people who had mental illness. And is it is it correct to say that that has failed dramatically and needs to be reversed? 
No question about that. They end up in emergency rooms, by the way, in beds, waiting mm. to go to residential centers that don't have room for them. Then right. they eventually go out back out on the streets. ERs are clogged, no mental health workers. Those hospitals are where someone like this, apparently, from what we're hearing, should have been. And that report that we're, we're relying on was an internal report from that the police were circulating. So clearly there's every reason to believe it's true. Someone like that needs to be in the hospital. Now, I need to add, I'm glad I remembered to say this. This is not to say that mental illness, most, the vast majority of people with mental illness are not violent. The vast majority of people hearing voices are not violent. So it's not that if I say you're hearing voices, this could be you. It's not so. But there are clues to this, like the violent thinking that he had, that were that were either ignored or, as you and I just said, he's, there's nobody around to hear. There's nobody around to take care of him. Is there any effort? I mean, in most of our cities, they have a larger tax base than they've ever had. So why is there no not enough? Is it a funding issue that we don't have these mental health facilities? Is it that there aren't enough doctors and nurses to employ in these places? Why don't we have these places in the United States of America, Mark? Great point. And so, yes, there aren't enough psychiatrists and there aren't enough mental health workers and there aren't enough psychiatric nurses. But the states are not giving enough money. The funding is drying up. California, one of the worst, has almost no mental health hospitals open. We in New York have closed most of ours. One state that's fighting for this right now is Virginia. Mm. Governor Youngkin has big programs going on behalf of this, trying to get it through. It has bipartisan support. We need it all across the country. All right, Mark, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Dr. Mark Siegel clinical professor of medicine and practicing internist at NYU Langone Medical Center um, and uh, affiliated at NYU as well. Thank you so much, doctor. It's always good to talk to you. We'll see you soon. Great to be with you, Martha. Thank you. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.